Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. Come to you guys just from the conclusion of UFC Orlando going down at the... Ah, damn. Where were we? We were at the Amway Center in the Orlando. Amway. Yep. At the Amway Center and headlined by a welterweight bout between Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Kevin Big Mouth Holland. And, uh, man, that was an awesome fight. Yeah. Both guys showed up. Um, both guys hurt one another. Yep. But man, Thompson just ran away with this one. Yeah, well, I mean, part of that I think is it's got to be there's got to be a little bit of a mindset thing in there. Because Holland clearly showed up. I mean, he he just, you know, he's been saying like, "Oh, I might retire. I did retire. I'm not joking around with thinking I might be done with this sport all that." He clearly showed up to go out there and have and try to win the funnest, coolest fight that he could could with Stephen Thompson. And I think Stephen Thompson just showed up to come out and win the fight. Because you noticed the difference of, like, Kevin Holland getting Stephen Thompson down and just walking away and letting him up and high-fiving him. And then Stephen Thompson having Holland down and injured late on in that fight. And it was it's a very different attitude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think if it were early on, I think there was one time when Thompson did let Holland stand back up. Um, like a but yeah, I mean, or something, maybe, yeah, no, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, gamesmanship going on out there yeah. as there always is with a Kevin Holland fight, a lot of smiles back and forth. Um, I just think Holland just wasn't ready for a caliber that is a Stephen Thompson. When Thompson doesn't have to worry about the takedowns, he gets to thrive. He can he can be himself. Yeah. He had someone who was going to give him the fight he needs to win. And I mean, he, he showed he just showed up, man. Yeah, going into this, I I was picking Holland, but I was like, you know, this is this is the kind of fight that as a striking match, a matchup, it favors Thompson a lot. And yeah. especially if I was looking at, like, Stephen Thompson of three or four years ago, I'd be like, no, I'm picking Thompson every time, no question. But my feeling was like, well, you know, Holland's going to catch him at some point. He's going to catch him out with something. And then he can wrap him up and on the mat. And Holland is an incredibly dangerous submission artist. And Holland just threw that out. He threw that away. He threw that out the window. And... Yeah, he wasn't going to be Stephen Thompson's caliber in a pure striking battle, and that's all he was interested in having. So, this was—I mean, this—it's hard not to look at this and think this is a fight that Kevin Holland could have won had he just not walked away from Thompson on the feet and, and let him up. And I'm—I'm I'm not mad at it. Like I loved, I had fun, I was entertained. Sure, it's just. You know, it, it does it does make me think about the the idea of Holland talking about retirement and stuff like that and being like, yeah, how much does he care? You know, I don't think he cares at all. I think he's just yeah. having fun. Yeah. And the second the fight wasn't fun anymore is the second he left it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no kidding. Once his arm, once his hand got hurt, that was just it's like okay, this isn't a good time anymore. I'm here. I'm I'm. But he he was ba- he basically turned into a he turned into a training bag. You know. Yeah, no kidding. He. I mean, I I get it. You know. Yeah, sure. I get it, but. Boy, Thompson just really got the style out there. He, he was did. spamming wheel kicks at the end of that yep. uh, fourth yeah. round. It was just getting so dark for Holland. Um, I'm I'm so glad his corner didn't let him go back out there yeah. for that fifth round. There was absolutely no need for that. The referee could have stepped in at any point, I also feel like. Sure. Um, the bulk of the fourth round was just Holland with his back to the to the fence eating these grazing wheel kicks off his skull. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm all for, for flashy, cool knockouts and stuff, but, uh, you know, I watching a defenseless man get beat on isn't exactly the most fun thing out there. Yeah, watching a guy who doesn't, who clearly doesn't, doesn't have any interest in the fight anymore get whipped is not, it's not fun. It's not why we're watching. You know? No, I'm happy for Thompson. Yeah. He he absolutely got a big, you know, he's talking about he feels like he's 25. He, he wants to fight forever. He's going to do this until his dad tells him he can't because I don't know why he would, a 40-year-old man would say a thing like that. But, hey, you know, I don't, that's a dynamic that I don't know anything about. Um, He's, he's, this is the kind of win, you know, that gets him feeling like everything's working again. So I'm happy for him on that on that front yeah i mean if he's got that relationship with his father that's fine by me could be left fighting because he promised his mother something you know yeah each their own yeah even khabib was like 30 though at that point like we got a lot of 30 year olds still living at home you know like i get that true thompson thompson he's 40 like he you got you got your own wife you got do you have kids? Does he have kids? I, would I don't think so. Not, no, not to my no. knowledge. No, he's he's married to uh, Chris Weidman's sister, so he's got a wife. He Wait, might... what? Is yeah. he? Yeah. I thought that. I thought it was like his brother married Chris Weidman's sister. Oh, wait, no, I've been told that's wrong. What is this? Personal yeah, life. Yeah, his his um. His brother is married to, yeah. Because oh, I remember yeah, when yeah, I, yeah. I did that was ma- married to Carlos Machado. Was there also. And Thompson's yeah. brother Tony's married to Chris Weidman. Thompson's sister is married, and Chris Weidman's sister. Okay, yeah. Okay, never mind. He's just a dude out there. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Get your life together, Stephen. No, but this was great for him, man. This was yeah. this was fantastic. He needed this break up his little slump. Um. Probably won't get another fight this favorable. Yeah. I don't think anybody else is going to get him to the mat and be like, you know, I don't really feel like I need to do this. Let's go back to you striking at range and me standing there. Man, that's really unfortunate for Holland because there were two distinct moments where he had top position early on and he could have kept it or at least did some damage. But he was prideful and wanted to be true to his word and – yeah, has that Bushido spirit, and that's yep. all good and well. It's cool. I'm I'm happy about it. Like as a fan, I'm happy. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm not out here. I didn't gamble anything on Holland, even though I picked him. So I don't have to feel like I 
I lost out here. It's it's cool thing. It's and it's the kind of thing that makes some fighters like you know cult favorites or like you know little legends in the sport of do like being just out there to entertain and being wild and all that. But it's uh it's not the, necessarily the way to make the most money out of your career. No. But anyway. you know whatever. Cool, cool fight. Cool last fight, and uh, Thompson is now right there once again in the thick of the the top ten at, at the welterweight division. So good for him, just what he needed. I don't know. Is there like a a fight that makes sense for for him right now? Then that would be um, like Kevin Holland has to have. It would probably be like a rematch situation. Yeah, you could you could fight like Jorge Masvidal again, I guess. Or that's a tough that's a tough one. Um, yeah, you can't get it, Jorge Masvidal to fight anybody these days. Maybe maybe he can fight the winner of uh, either either rematch Darren Till or fight Drakus Duplessis. Up at middleweight, go up a division. Oh damn, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about about that. Maybe Till's, Till's not cutting weight no more. Yeah. Um, that or, is um, a matchup where I don't think Wonder Boy would have to worry much about the takedown. Yeah, or that if Shabkat beats Jeff Neal, I mean, he might have to worry about the takedown, but like, if he's going to keep fighting top 10 dudes, it's just, who's it going to be, you know? Yeah, and he's already fought everybody. Yeah. That's the thing. Anyway, this was a cool fight. This was fun. And uh, it was a great cap to the card. And, you know, I think it got a little slow there in the undercard. We got, like, five straight decisions. Most of them in good fights. Fights were yeah. fun. But we started stretching things out a little. And then nothing but finishes all the rest of the way. So, really the perfect cherry on top of a really awesome card. Yeah, a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, co-main event, Rafael Dos Anjos, Brian Barbarena, and uh, a little back and forth on the feet, but an absolute landslide for RDA once he started getting takedowns. Just schooled Barbarena on the mat. Yeah, just miles ahead of him mm-hmm. on, on the ground in the jiu-jitsu department. And uh, poor Barbarena. Yeah. I genuinely believe that he thought he was going to win this fight. He gets that split decision over Matt Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, he finishes Robbie Lawler. Went it's like toe with Robbie Lawler and finished it. Yeah. You know, big confidence so, booster. Here he gets another former champion, a chance to really get some momentum going, chance for him to make a run. And what happens? He gets choked out by RDA. Yeah, RDA doesn't play that game. He's not out there like like Robbie Lawler being like, you know, I'd really like to just punch with you and nothing else. And uh, so you'll get all, as many as long as you're tough enough and you can push a pace. There's a chance that you can make me gas out first. You can take, you know, take the fight over. RDA doesn't do that. If he if there's any way to do. You know, he'll go out there and kickbox with people, but if there's any way to do other things, to implement a wrestling game, a top game, a, a clinch game, whatever it is, RDA will take it. 
and yeah this was this was high fi q mm-hmm. like this is the opposite of what kevin holland did yes <laughs> against uh stephen thompson and, and that's rda he's high fi q always has been always will be he's consistent reliable you know what you're going to get out of him and honestly if he lost to brian barbarena that that would be that's probably would have been his worst loss ever yeah yeah that would be um like it's it, i mean there's michael chiesa but outside of that it's all yeah, and even chiesa's you know climbed a lot higher than barbarina you, you're you're going all the way back to like you know 2008 2009 griffin stevens all or all the way back to like his early you know jorge brito adriano abu Right. early career it would be functionally for where he is now in his career it would be his worst loss yeah and i i'm i'm i like that he came out and knew where he needed to get the fight yep i like the way he got it there he used his punches to set up his entry into the clinch that's where he got his takedowns and just absolutely smothered barbarina yeah it's good to see him too he went through the progression of like you know Grabbing a single, changing to a double, getting against the kid, getting getting Barbarina down like two or three times, and having Barbarina just pop up over and over again on him. So he goes high mm-hmm. armpit, hits the little trip, and just dumps him him right down straight into half guard on top. And you know that is that is problem solving for an opponent who is ready for traditional folk style takedown entries and how to make sure they don't end up flat on the mat off of those yeah it was it was a brilliant display of grappling just just real clever stuff and a reminder too that he's got he's got the kind of squeeze that does not matter where he is if his arm is in the vicinity of your chin neck face area and it's locked up with his other arm You've you've made all the mistakes already. Yeah, it's like that that uh, Gordon Ryan kind of. If he gets your back, if he's allowed to get an arm across your face, you're gonna tap out. Yeah. Period. Whether it's a neck crank, whether it's um, a smother choke, whether it's a full on blood choke, either way. Yeah. That yeah, was that was beautiful to watch. So great for him. Then he called out Conor McGregor. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. I I love that for him. You shoot for the moon. You got to take when you're in these this kind of position. When you're you know you, you were supposed to fight him at one point. You've got backstory. You've got history with him. You've got a little something to a spark to ignite. You've just made it. You've just picked up a win. You're up at his weight. Everything when the stars are aligned like that, take your shot. Is he going to get that fight? No, but you take your shot. There's a chance. There's a small chance he could I mean, get it. Yeah, there's a slim chance that Con- he, he. There's a slim chance that anybody who has made a name for themselves at some point between 145 and 170 pounds could fight Conor McGregor, just because all the stars align. I don't know, but I doubt Conor McGregor is going to pick that out of, you know, possible other names he could face. Yeah, especially after seeing that. It's like, yeah. hold on, you just did what to Brian Barbarina? The same thing that Khabib did to me? Nah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. good. Yeah. But man, he was so close to Red Panty Night back in the day. He was. 
Everything, all things were. He even had. He didn't even lose the belt. Nah. Because he had. He was. He was champ, and he was injured, and he got injured, and McGregor jumped on that. They jumped on that Nate Nate Diaz fight, short notice. Instead, up a division, and that just yeah. skewed the whole thing. Because yep. that was such a huge deal that McGregor had to redo it. In the meantime, RDA fought Eddie Alvarez and did lose his belt. And then we all know, you know, McGregor came back, beat Eddie, and then beat Cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. But, so. you know, good to, good to see him go out there, a little return to form. Yeah. Good to see him dominant against someone he should, on paper, be dominant against. Yep. Exactly what you want to see from a former champion like that fighting a longtime fun action fighter. Just remind him that remind him and everybody else levels to the game and uh, then make a big call out. Look for that payday. I hope it happens for him. I'm not I'm not holding my breath. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Matthews Nicolau. Matt Schnell. And. Uh, just a pretty perfect performance from Nikolai. Man, this this was a clean a clean sweep right here. Mm-hmm. Played the outside, waited for his moments, the opportunities arose, and man, he delivered the perfect strikes at the perfect time. And Chanel, man, poor chap, cut his hair for this. <laughs> <laughs> he shaved it. He shaved his hair just to make way to come out here and get pantsed. Yeah, that's rough. That is rough. It was, I, I mean, I was, I felt like that was all predestined to happen. Schnell really loving to push forward the way he does. Nikolau being so sharp off his back foot. It's just like, mm, this is, this is a really sweet deal for Nikolau to really shine. So, yeah, no, I mean, Schnell's, I mean, tough as nails. We saw that in his last yeah. fight, right? Yep. We know what he's capable of, but. Um, just being so hittable yeah. and, and hurtable, so hittable, hurtable, and so adamant about moving forward while yeah. having those qualities. It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. He's lucky this didn't happen to him in his last fight, honestly. Yeah, it, no, yeah, it almost did. It, it was, yeah. If Sumajiri really, really took it to him yep. and, and punched himself out. <laughs> yeah, if, he, if he'd had the kind of consistency that Nikolai does, the kind of patience, he would have won that fight. Yeah. Nikolai looked great, though. Yeah, he did. I don't know, don't know what's, what he's going to get next. There's a fight probably coming up here, I think, in uh, February, two eight, UFC 284 in Perth between Kaikara France and... Uh, Alex Perez, maybe the winner of that for Nicolau. Um, sure, he looks great. He's yeah. finishing people at 125 with with his hands. You know, let's go. Yeah, because otherwise you've got um, Al- Alessandro Pantoja is probably still waiting for his chance to be the next title contender, and um, thinking who's. Oh, I forgot now. Who's the other top? Top five guy fly away. Talking about Kai Kara France? Well, Kai Kara France is fighting Perez, but um, I've lost track of my thoughts. Uh, Brandon Royville just got injured, too. That was mm-hmm. the other one. He just broke his wrist, so. 
Uh, yeah, if Nikolai's going to be fighting again. And uh, Brandon, Brandon Miranda is looking for a new coach. Yeah, no kidding, right? Not really. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not true. No, um, I'm sure it is true. Like, he's sticking. He said he's sticking, sticking with uh, Krause, but Krause, we'll but see. Well, that that is an early days prognosis that I would not. If I were, if I were James Krause. I would be telling Brandon Moreno, do not do this. Do not give right. up your career for me because <laughs> I am probably not getting out of this trouble unscathed. Nah, he's in hot water. Yeah. Not only is he in hot water, but he's making the spot hot for everybody else. Yeah, yeah, no, he gave the game away for a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. I do not think Brandon Moreno is going to give up his his entire MMA career and championship dreams just to stick with John Krause. That does not James seem... Krause. Yeah, James. no, I mean, I, I, I applaud his loyalty, but yeah. ultimately that's just, just a, a really bad situation that um, transcends MMA, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Brings us to a heavyweight bout, Sergei Pavlovich tied to Ivasa, and it is absolutely safe to say that Sergey, we have a new heavyweight top contender on our hands and also that much even more than flyweight i have no the hell, no idea who in the hell he's gonna fight next because that division is just stuck in the mud very stale at the top very political also yeah yeah um, all I know is Pavlovich, he has that that light heavyweight style. Mm-hmm. He's he's treating heavyweight like it's 205 and just relying on his physical attributes to just bulldoze people. And I love it. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'm so here for it. it is I ab- actually thought Ty Tuivasa was going to sleep him. I Ooh. thought so, too. I mean, I there was I figured Pavlovich would hurt him first because he's got like eight inches of reach on Tuivasa. He throws one twos. He's got a good sense of timing early. It made sense to me that Pavlovich would he'd be the guy to let to start the the exchange, you know. And then I there's a moment it happened in the fight. The fight went exactly the way I would have saw in my mind, which was. That Pavlovich is firing away, he's hurt to Ivasa, and he walks right into a huge counter. And he did. And he just ate it, and he just kept throwing. Like, yeah. you got the chin to eat that kind of bomb, and you're just going to keep throwing, and even doing the smart thing, reset a little, get a little space back, because you do have this huge reach advantage. Just slide a little bit back out of range and fire a few more punches. And he just stomped a mud hole in Tai Tuivasa. Nah, really smart. Because yeah. you know when you hurt Tai Tuivasa, he's going to plant his feet, bite down on his mouthpiece, and swing with everything he has. Yep. And he did just that. But yep. Pavlovich, like you said, moved out of the way, got just far enough out of range. So Tai, you know, almost comically whiffed at air and, and threw himself off balance. Yep. And then proceeded to just pummel him yeah brutal i mean it's rare you see a fight that ends in 50 seconds that is a or 54 seconds in this case sub one minute that is a prolonged tko beating that does not also feel like it was stopped early 
You know, usually if you've got like a 50 second, oh, the guy's still conscious, but his opponent, his opponent's landing a bunch of punches. I think you're 50 mm-hmm. seconds into the fight. You, you know, let, let's find out what's going to keep happening here just a little bit. This was no question. We did not need to see another five seconds of that. We did not need to see another minute of that. Taito Ivasa was getting beat. No, excellent stoppage. He did it one second faster than he knocked out Derek Lewis. So yep. he's getting faster. That's a plus. <laughs> and yeah, man, he's just so willing to throw himself into the fire right away, not wasting any time, not giving his opponents any any kind of chance to get a game plan going. Um, so now, yeah, maybe maybe he needs to fight a um, Curtis Blades or something. I'm thinking Cyril gone. I think gone is the one, the one dude. Cause blades has already been like, I'm not fighting anybody down behind me in the division at this point. I'm here on the cusp of my title shot. My fight next fight needs to be big. And he's in that imaginary sweepstakes for the John Jones fight. If right. doesn't fight. And if Ngannou can't come back to terms with the UFC, Curtis blades is reportedly the guy that will fight John Jones. So I'm sure he's got to be waiting for that. Like that is, yeah, that's too big to pass up. So actually, you're right. Blades would be smart to not fight anybody behind him. Yeah, and so Cyril Gan, he's the, he's he's the guy that I think might actually be willing to take that fight, and it'd be fun as hell to watch. I mean, who else is there? Yeah, like right. You've got. We just went through like several, you know, you got Nganu, you got uh, Blades, you've got Miocic. They're all holding on for other things. And then you're looking at other guys, you know, he, he just beat Derek Lewis. Tom Aspinall blew his leg to pieces against uh, Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades. And um, you got to, you know, at that point, yeah, like Volkov hanging out back there, but hey, he's been looking slow lately. I don't know if you've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been he's been packing on some muscle and looks like shredding some fat, looking like a bodybuilder. So maybe maybe Volkov gets in that mix somewhere. I don't know where yet, but uh, he doesn't have the Volkov doesn't have the kind of highlights right now that. You know, if you're Pavlovich coming off of this win over Taituivasa, you're not turning around thinking like, yeah, I really want to fight Alexander Volkov, you know. Like, that's just not a fight. Yeah, but it's just the the lack of options. It is the lack of options. That's a a killer. And this is prize fighting, so. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully, hopefully the UFC comes to terms with a few of their big name heavyweights sometime in in the near future. Just one or two. Oh, you know what? What? Put him in there with um, Sergey Spivak. <laughs> right? Didn't he just get his fight canceled with Derek Lewis? Yeah, yeah. That's once again. I think if you're coming off the win over uh, over dusting Tatuivasa inside around, you're not thinking. I want to fight Sergey Spivak now. That's the big fight that'll get me over. But. But no, he already got the fight to get him over. It's just oh, yeah. wait. It's a waiting game. So get yeah. the paycheck. Yeah, it's true. I mean that it that if you're gonna fight if you're gonna fight another 
ranked guy that feels like something that you can a fight you can win without too much trouble. Spivak might be the fight to take. And he's on a roll, so you, yeah. you steal you steal that little that little bit of momentum. Delete one other guy from from the running. All right, I'll I'll I'll, I'll have my people contact his people, and we'll see if there I, you go. Yeah, I like it. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Roman Delidze, Jack Hermanson, and man, like if you replayed this fight a hundred times. I don't think you would ever get that option that to happen again. No. Like I came into them like this is a huge step up for Roman Delizzi. I know he's this wild opportunist guy who finds things and makes them happen, but Hermanson is like the anti-opportunist. You have to go out there and break him down. He's not gonna make a bunch of mistakes all on his own. And you go out there, you watch this fight, and you watch it for seven minutes. And Hermanson doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He just goes out there and he very patiently picks off Delidzi's leg, lands the better punches, is just real nice and consistent one-two, stays very checked, doesn't doesn't put himself out there to get hurt by anything. And then he takes Hermanson or he takes Delidzi down with ease. It's not even a difficult takedown. Yeah. And armbar to inverted triangle to leg lock to calf slicer to back mount in about 20 seconds. Back mount with the calf slicer. With the calf slicer. Absolutely brutal. That is some pro wrestling. Like that's what is it? The Steiner recliner he's got on there. It was like the, um, there was some name for something very similar to that. Not the Steiner recliner. That's no, not I the camel clutch. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Texas Cloverleaf or something. It's, I'm not. It's, it, it is a pro wrestling move. I am absolutely sure of that. I don't know what it is, but I think Roman Delizzi now has an intercontinental title. <laughs> uh, so I actually picked Delizzi to win here. But I expected it to be some crazy madness on the feet, kind of like his last fight. Sure. When I saw Hermanson get on top and Delidzi instantly hit that sweep, I was like, "Oh shit, that yeah. is nasty jujitsu!" Uh-huh. Like my dude's a middleweight and he just he hit a sweep from guard. What? Yeah. How often do we see that? Usually it's people just working to stand up. My guy yeah. swept. Swept Jack Hermanson, who's pretty savvy on the ground. Very. Yeah. Um, I, I I was completely blown away by his ground game. I did not expect that. I didn't see that coming. And then again, he's on the ground and starts chaining his submissions together. And man, he he looked he looks better on the ground. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he no, he's, to... he's definitely a better grappler than he is a striker. He ought to start pulling guard on mother, <laughs> mother effers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, it's going to be fascinating because now he's now he's a top ten dude. Like, right? He is a top ten middleweight now, and you know what? The, well, you know what fight we've got to see him in, obviously. Uh, who's that? Andre Muniz. Ooh. Okay. Right? 
Sure. I know it's a big, it's a, it's a small step back from Hermanson, who was higher ranked at the time. But Delinzi's still got stuff to prove up there. He could he could use a few more names on his resume, and that yeah. is. Yeah, I doubt he's going to catch Muniz in a calf slicer. I doubt it too. But I want I am I am here to watch him try at this point because this was fun as hell. So I saw Delinzi going for the calf slicer, and I'm like, yes, a calf slicer! Here it comes. We're going to get it. But then the submission never came. Yeah, but it didn't matter because he did something even cooler, and that's getting a TKO while having a calf slicer locked in. I've never, I've never ever seen that. That is, like, that is, I've, I'll probably never see it again. That is probably the most undefensible, otherwise like position I've ever seen on the mat. Oh, yeah, way way worse than the Dagestani handcuff or the crucifix, uh, even. Yeah, crucifix, back crucifix. Uh, it's if you have so much leeway to posture up and land shots from a position like that, where you've got somebody's leg in complete control, that he could just lean back, posture up, and let both his hands go. I mean, not um, only that, but like, I don't know if you've ever been in a calf slicer. But it is some of the most excruciating pain you will ever feel. Yeah. It is. I can't even imagine being in one while getting just battered with punches. No. That's a nightmare. I feel like like Hermanson just, just had a worst-case scenario nightmare. Man. They're going to they're, they're gonna hire Delizzi. The CIA is going to come hire Delizzi. Yeah, no, this was... Um, TKO of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, Roman Delidzi going out there, introduce, like he's been on a run. He's had a lot of success in the UFC, but it's all been weird. This is no different, but this shows he can be weird at a really high level. You know? Yeah. He like needs to more, go link up with Paul Craig and start it, pulling guard. It's wild guard. that the dude who got picked off by Trevin Giles over three rounds is now like firmly a top 10 middleweight and i'm not even sure that he's at his i don't think that technically there's been any big shift in his game um no he's just been super aggressive yeah as always and it rewards him and now we just get to see him be super aggressive off his back with his grappling and that's fantastic yeah, and it'll be. I mean, this will this will build a reputation too. He can he can get some of that Charles Oliveira vibe where people just won't chase him to the mat, you know. Yeah, Paul Craig vibe. Yep. Charles Oliveira vibe. It's just. It's yeah, cool. that was. I can't believe he was sweeping Hermanson like that. Yeah. All right, that brings us to another middleweight bout: Eric Anders, Kyle Daukaus, and. Um, yeah, boy. Yeah. Your boy, he got it done. I definitely, I was looking at this. I hated picking this fight because it's like, okay, on the one hand, got Eric Anders, who can be outworked by even dudes way less athletic than him if they're just busy enough. Mm-hmm. And, and on the flip side, you got Kyle Dowkaus, who can look really sharp and then just get absolutely hoffed by better athletes, even when he's looking like the sharper, more technical guy. Who do I pick in this fight? I went with Anders. I figured, yeah, I got to go with the athleticism. And uh, that was pretty much it. Like, Dowcast was 
pretty like looking smooth, looking sharp, picking all his shots, getting all his spots, getting all his moments. And then he just started getting clubbed. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I picked Anders in this also, but um, mostly because I just didn't trust that Dockhouse was recovered from his <laughs> uh, getting his face smashed in last time. Yeah, I mean, it, definitely the first that time was... he got hit, it looked like he got really hit. It looked like it put a shock into him. And then getting yeah, headbutted. I think he had really sur- Didn't he have surgery? Yeah, he had like two fractured eye thought. Both orbitals were fractured. Yeah, Delidzi smashed his face in with the knee. Yeah. And like six months later, he's here fighting Eric Anders. I will tell you this though. I I I picked Anders, but I did not expect Anders to look as good as he did. Yeah. He looked he looked really good out there. He looked yeah. confident in his striking and his yeah. he, he seemed way more willing to throw more than one punch at a time. He's getting to the point that he doesn't throw himself off balance so much when he throws count. Because that was always the thing, is that he could, you know, he would try to throw more than one punch, but after the first one, he'd get way out over his front leg so that he was just, you know, out in no man's land. And he's getting a lot better. He, he, he's stringing two two punches together pretty well now. You can still see it gets a little funky by the third one. But when you're, you know, when you've got his kind of natural power and strength, just being able to fire two punches consistently at somebody, it goes a long way still. Yeah, I, I'm getting Chris Weidman vibes from Dowcouse. I'm I'm starting to feel like the game doesn't want him. You remember yeah, in the fight? Maybe Josh Koscheck vibes. Yeah, like in the fight, they they collided and yep. he got dropped by an accidental clash of heads. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, this just this ain't for you, player. <laughs> it's just yeah. not for you. And I, I think it's real. Like I said, when it when he got started getting hit hard the first couple times you could see it started to look like he was like pawing at his face and like right. checking, you know, and it's that sort of like, Oh man. And for like most of the rest of the fight after he got started getting hurt, it was just like, he was just in survival mode of like going through, really going through all of the, the trauma of that last loss. And like, is something about to get broken really badly again. Oh yeah, and, I mean, I I'm, I can just envision the in, the internal monologue that he must have been having, going just, don't get finished, don't get finished, don't get don't get knocked yep. out, don't get knocked out, yep. don't get hit, don't get hit, instead of you know thinking about the things he should be doing. Yeah, it might take. I mean, it might he might never recover from that. Honestly, it might it, it could take a lot of time. But you know, we talk about Josh Koscheck. He was a fighter who like. Five years after breaking his orbital against GSP, he'd get hit in the face with a really clean jab, and he would just start touching his eye reflexively for like the rest of the round. Yeah. Who who was the one fighter who he was really talented, but just kept breaking his hands? Uh, lighter, uh, lighter like weight. McDonald. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man, he was so talented, but just kept breaking his hands. Brian Bowles too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, it's just one of those things that I just game just might not be for him anymore. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, Anders gave everybody a real good idea of exactly where he's at right now in his career by then going out after this and calling out Jamie Pickett. It's like, 
Okay. I get you need to string some wins together, but like... <laughs> what? Come on. Like, you just beat the guy who wrecked Jamie Pickett. Kyle Dowkhouse threw him around the octagon. He's had like two fights in the UFC, or three fights, and they've all been bad. Like, what are you, what are you calling that dude out for? Was there is there beef? No, he, he was. He just knew the picket was scheduled to fight Bo Nickel, and he was like, "Okay, this guy's scheduled. I, you know, I'll, I'll take his spot instead, and we can fight." And I think he's just trying to get a fight again quick. But it's just like. Can, or he's trying to get a win again. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is that it feels to me? It's just like you. I get it. You've been through some hard stuff. You talked about afterward that he was at his lowest point heading into this fight. So this is, win really meant a lot to him. And it's just you know he's he's figured out like uh, you know maybe maybe don't ask the UFC for the hardest opponent or just tell the UFC oh I'll take you whoever you give me. Start start thinking a little bit creatively about yeah. what fights you. Hey, you know, you, you always say when you have your moment, call your yep. shot, aim high. Well, sometimes maybe you need to aim low. <laughs> maybe aim low, too. You know, I mean, hey, if it, if he gets that fight and he gets a couple wins and it gets him back in the swing of things, then who am I, you know, like there are yeah. plenty of other combat sports outside of MMA that are a little more carefully managed where that kind of thing is absolutely the way you do it. You go out, you you have a couple bad losses. They put you back on that regional circuit. They get you a few wins. They build your confidence back up, get you ready to face somebody big and tough again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of um, hard hearing Anders say that on the mic, though, talking about his, his struggles. Yeah. I hope he's okay. Yeah. I know you... fighting is a really tough sport, really hard on the mind. Mm -hmm. So I, I really hope he's got people around him that can look out for him. Yeah, no kidding. All right, that brings us to a catchweight bout, a welterweight, what was supposed to be a welterweight bout, Philip Rowe, Nico Price, and um, this was a war. Like, as, it, as, as advertised, as, as expected. Advertised. Yeah, I mean, Price came, or Rowe came out, for, unlike him, unlike his usual, Rowe came out firing. He looked hot. He was snapping one-twos, looking firing clean shots, looking real crisp early in this fight. Seemed like he was just going to take it away from Nico Price. And then Price started to rally and just be a hard-nosed vet, go out there, make things happen, keep throwing, keep pressure on. Started to break down Rowe just a little bit. And then the third round comes around, and you're like, momentum's there for Price. He's hurting him. He's going after him, drops him, follows him down, tries to hurt, tries to put him away, and just absolutely gassed himself in the process. And then credit on Roe for coming back and lighting him up because he was, you know, it, it looked like he was about out of there. He he looked tired, real tired by the end of the second round of that fight. And Price was just that much more exhausted. And that, that tell what also this, this fight, especially notable to me, was this was a great example of the true value of having good technique. Because Nico Price yeah. goes out there and he just throws stuff from his elbows, from his shoulders. You know, he's throwing he's throwing hands out of his pockets. 
two just, hands at the same time. Yeah, just janky. Whatever I can make happen, can make connect with you. I will make connect. I will make very something. primal. He's a very primal fighter. Yeah. And when he got tired, it was all gone. There was nothing. You know, he doesn't have any form to keep anymore. He could barely throw anything at all. And when Roe was tired, those slick one twos that he's been working on and training all that time, they were still just as slick and just as tight and just as fast. You know? I think what's crazy is, uh, to your point, um, that that lack of traditional polish with Nico striking is exactly what got him in trouble in the first round. Mm-hmm. He was just wading in with, you know, arm punches and, you know, using his forward momentum as the power in his punches yeah. instead of generating torque. It's it's more along the lines of, you know, just moving moving your water forward and, and happen and just you happen to connect with some part of your body on your opponent, and he got tagged up for it, and yeah. then. Like you said, once once the fatigue set in, and and I don't fault Price at all for emptying the gas tank. Like no, no, you had, he needed you to get the down. finish. Yeah, he, he had his moment. Speed. Yeah, he went for it. I, oh, I, I'm I'm I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Roe was tough enough to, and Roe looked huge out there too. He looked a giant. He, he I, looked so massive. Middleweight may have to be in his future. This cut did not go well. And if this is any sign of the future, how, how old is he? He's he's 32. So he's actually not that young. So, uh, you know, he, he should have his, you know, he, he's got all of his, you know, adult weight and muscle on and all that. So it may maybe this is just a one-time thing. But if, it, if the cut's getting harder for him at all, he's going to have to go to middleweight. Yeah, he's pulling the Hamzat for yep. sure. Uh, but tough fight. Good for yep. him to grit it out. And uh, Nico's always a tough out. Someone willing to go out on the shield. And what a war. Oh, yeah. And oh man, he missed weight, so he's not even uh, in the running for fight of the night. I don't know if the no. bonuses are out yet. No. But the fir- the the main event was a pretty damn good. Oh, good we got we got our bonuses. Fight of the night was Thompson Holland. Okay. Yeah. Performance of the night. Sergey Pavlovich and Roman Delidze. I mean, yeah, okay. I I can't argue with it. You know what Delidze did? We were just ta- we were just glowing over it. It was beautiful, and then Pavlovich absolutely just wrecked Tuivasa. Yeah. But um, yeah. You know what fight I really want to see though? Talking about going back to Roe Price. I don't know. Uh. I don't know if it'll get made, but the fight I would love to see next is Philip Rowe against Ian Gary. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Right? I like that. Very long fight. Yeah. A couple of snipers out there. Yeah. It also might be boring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I still want to see it. I'm still willing to take that chance. All right. Let's go to a woman's straw weight bout now. Angela Hill, Emily Ducote, and Angela Hill looked like she was on fire out there. This was as 
complete and commanding against a really good, solid, fundamental, and physically strong enough opponent as I've ever seen Hill look. Because you, you know, we've seen Hill against look that kind of commanding against people like uh, Ashley Yoder or like Loma Lukbunmi or Hannah Seifers. You know, where it's like, oh, she's the bigger, stronger person out there, right? Or she's, you know, she's just way faster than them or whatever. But Ducote's she's she's a equally sized, strong, consistent, fundamentally sound fighter. And usually that's been enough to beat Hill, even if it's a squeaky, you know, very con- controversial defeat. Sure. But uh, you also have to show up. Yeah, there is that. Ducote looked like she was underwater. Yeah. I've never seen her so frozen in place. Deer, total deer in headlights. I think part of that is just the variety Hill could offer. I think Hill showing up with and just firing technically and consistently to all ranges, punching the body a lot, kicking the legs, going with body head combos, really going through all stages. It made it really hard for Dakota to go out there and be like, I'm going to be the more fundamental, tight walk my way into the pocket and like I'll throw less, but I'll land cleaner. When you got that much variety coming at you at that pace, like it just, it became really hard for her to, to stay on top of it. Yeah. You really have to get some respect when you got someone trying to spam you with volume Mm -hmm. and Dakota couldn't do that. She couldn't land much of anything. Um, her kicks weren't there at all. I think she threw maybe one head kick, and that was in the last 10 seconds of the third round. Yeah. Um, she just looked slow and underwater and a step behind. And and also there was um, a huge gulf in the clinch game. Just. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Andrew man. Hill ruined her in the clinch. Absolutely. Not, Dakota kept doing that, like, trying to keep her shoulders tight to her neck, keep her posture high, keep her back straight. But that was it. It was just like it was posture to not – it was training in the clinch uh, to not get broken down and not to be offensive in any way, you know? Yeah, I mean, good good on her for keeping her face away from those knees. Yeah. But Damn. They hurt. They looked like they hurt a hell of a lot. She had a very similar look that Rich Franklin had back in the day when he found himself in Anderson Silva's clinch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like, I don't know how to get out of this. Yeah. So I'm just going to hope for the best. Um, Great win for Hill. Man, Ducati just didn't show up. And Hill yeah. ran away with it. Completely yep. outclassed her, styled on her, made, made her look like she didn't belong there. Yeah, but it'll this will bump should bump Hill right back up into you know into that top ten top fifteen edge kind of mix for uh, you know get her some more big fights fight somebody like Yan uh, Jianan or I don't know even hell she could even fight uh, Mackenzie Dern I don't think she'd win I was that just thinking that Zane yeah like I don't know that she'd win that fight but no I definitely watch her get submitted by Mackenzie Dern but Hill you know when you're a vet at this point where she's clearly still in the prime of her career even at 37 she's had all the fights in the world you get on a little win streak you're right there like 
just throw her at anybody she hasn't fought before because, you know, right. might as well give Hill her chances to prove herself still. And no, she, she is she is Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah, she is. The torch has been passed. And Cerrone was a dude that on any given night, he could fight anybody ranked, you know, 5 to 25, and it was fine. And on short notice. Yep. Oh, I, I want to see Angela Hill get thrown up the division after a performance like this again. Give her another shot at a big fight. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Clay Guida, Scott Holtzman. And um, I don't think Clay won this fight. I don't know that he did or not. I, I, I scored. I scored with the assumption that he would because I thought the judges would like his activity. I will say this. I don't really understand what Scott Holtzman was trying to do out there. I think maybe he thought he could just one punch Clay Guida or something. But he went through whole stretches of this fight where he'd do that little like hand shimmy he does with his backhand, with his power hand, and be like, Showing the hips and shimmying the hand and showing the hips and just like, and then not throw anything. It's like, you're not out here against Max Holloway, dude. You got, this is Clay Guida. Throw the hand, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I mean, he's also trying to not get taken down. Sure. But he was like the takedowns. I mean, they may have made the difference for Guida in the end, but for most of the fight, Holtzman was totally capable of getting back up. It just, he he had Guida on the back foot the whole time, and he didn't make n- nearly as much of it as he could have. Whether you want to argue that he should have won the fight or not, I would have been ha- fine if he won. It was just a very awkward performance. It was a very respect on the feet heavy performance from Holtzman for Guida, which ended up just giving Guida enough. It ended up not doing enough so that Guida could steal the fight off of energy and grind. Right. But I, I just, I hate when fights, when that is what steals the fight and, and not punches I know. <laughs> or strikes. Um. I- but yeah, I mean, I guess you know, it was it was still a valiant effort in his his last fight. So yeah. good on Holtzman for calling his own shot and walking away on his own terms. Yep, something yep. to be said for that. Oh yeah, I mean he, this is a dude who came to MMA after her like a whole other sports career went by the wayside. Like he didn't start, he didn't hit MMA, didn't enter his first fight until he was. Uh, you know, 29, nearly 30. And he crafted a decade-long career in MMA and did most of it at the highest level. It wasn't the winningest fighter out there, but got to have some respect for that, you know? Yeah. And, and Guida is, is, a, is a very uh, respectable last opponent. Yeah, absolutely. Very hard to look good. Unless you're catching I mean, an early guillotine, it's hard to look good against Clay Guida. Like, you, you give Holtzman credit. His last four fights were Jim Miller, Benil Dariush, Mateusz Gamrot, and Clay Guida. Like, yeah, and he beat Jim Miller. And he beat Jim Miller. Like, he absolutely 
when he he rode into the sunset taking you know all the hard fights and then uh the clay guida fight was a very respectable send-off it's just you know it's just it's too bad because I think this was a this was a more winnable fight than Holtzman made it for himself. Even if you want to argue that he should have won it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Michael Johnson, Mark Diakise, and um, man, the Bone Crusher picked a weird time to give up on his wrestling game. Um, well, I, you got to credit Michael Johnson I, for being yeah. so just stubborn. And, Johnson and had his head in the game for this fight. I'll definitely the give whole him credit. Game for, yeah. I don't think I've seen a more complete 15 minutes out of Michael Johnson. Not, I'm not even being funny. Yeah, not maybe since, like, uh, you'd have to go all the way back to... I don't know, like Tony Fer- that Tony Ferguson fight. That was like a really focused Michael Johnson. That, yeah, was, that was in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, yeah. Because even yeah, in other that... good performances he's had, he usually gets caught a few times. Things usually go a little haywire. But he was, he was sharp. He was focused. No, this was this was such a clean performance, and it it wasn't even anything spectacular that he was doing. Yeah. It was basic fundamentals, working off his jab, coming yep. down the pipe with this cross, uh, not not even remotely allowing any sort of takedown or rest, prolonged grappling exchange to take place. Commanded the cage, and. You could just watch the ideas just leave Dia Casey. Yeah. He just he was running out of things, slick, clever things to try against a salty veteran who's seen everything, been there, done that, uh, is is can be fundamentally sound if he can keep his head in the game, which is the big X factor. I yep. picked against uh, uh Michael Johnson here. Oh yeah, I mean everybody did. I got some people being like you know, I I put on Twitter when I was running on Twitter again, like I I fully expect Michael Johnson to get go out and get out wrestled by Mark Diakisi. And I got the people coming back after the fight and be like, ha, ah, you know, LOL, whatever, you you know, nice pick, what a you know. Right. And I'm like, this is if I am gonna get pilloried for it, I will stand by this to the ends of the earth. Like I know I'm I know I was wrong, but that was the safest assumption. Of this whole card. Right. At minimum, it would be, okay, Michael Johnson will come out and have a great first round, do some damage, but then the wheels are going to fall off. DKC will come back, start grinding in the second, and then continue smothering in the third to get the decision. That's how I saw it playing out. For for Johnson to come out and just be as complete and together for 15 minutes like he was, you know, that's... Where has this been? Yeah, somebody noted Henry Hooft wasn't in his corner, and I I, I wonder if having ha- having Hooft not be there to be physically disappointed in him between rounds maybe helped <laughs> keep his spirits bolstered. Oh man, he didn't get the what are you doing, Michael? What are you don't doing? Give don't give up. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, give don't up. quit on yourself. I can see you quitting on yourself. You're quitting. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> uh. oh. 
But yeah, it was it was a solid performance from Johnson and from Casey. It is. I mean, I have to think because a lot of those those wrestling entries he got shut down on. Uh, I got it. It's just like, did you press it as hard as you could have? Because if you had got if you got stuffed on the first shot and then you moved and you cut an angle and you changed to a single leg, you changed to a body lock, and then you tried a trip, and then you dragged him against the cage, and you just made this the worst, most awful, just ugly wrestling grind you could, would Johnson have have been confident and stayed with it all the way through? Because... I in the past Johnson Johnson has always had good first layer takedown defense. It's that once he gets taken down, that's when he just starts to absolutely fall to pieces. And DKC didn't feel it didn't feel like he really even tested past the first layer. He shot from way far out on a lot of these and got stuffed and that was it. And a part of that is a credit to Johnson for being so with it and complete, but you do have to wonder, like, you know, you you saying DKC ran out of ideas, it does feel like that, you know. Maybe he underestimated Michael Johnson. Yeah. Maybe he genuinely thought he was going to outstrike him. Yeah. I don't know, but bad fight for DKC coming off of a couple of wins that he had to have. You know, I hope he's not at the end of his contract with the UFC because I could see after two grinding wrestling wins and then a loss like this, the UFC being like, yeah, whatever. You know, you, you can do your thing somewhere else. Eh. He'll he'll probably stay around. I'm being a little negative, but it was just he he did a lot of cool stuff in this fight. He hit a cartwheel kick and a somersault kick. Um, It's just it wasn't and none of it was very effective. Yeah, kind of really unnecessary. Yeah. In what should have been a he, very winnable he, fight. He wasn't being as entertaining as he thought he was. Yeah, he, he really, I mean, he was shocked he lost. That yeah. decision got read and he did like the, you know, the, the Scooby-Doo double take. <laughs> um, yeah, right. yeah, that's that's, you know... I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's his corner. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, if... I got to ground expect a fighter to necessarily know where they are in the in the fight and how it's being scored. But his four, corner really should have, if not after the second round, after the third round, should have pulled him aside and been like, "We lost this one." Well, I will say this though: if if you look at the Guida Holtzman fight and how close it was, and the body language once that final bell rang, Guida was all happy and celebrating. Holtzman looked all defeated, like his career was over. And I feel like that might weigh a little something, something into the judges. They can see that. They see that body language. And like, that, oh. is definitely, that is definitely fight lore. That is MMA lore passed down through the ages. I don't know if it's true or not, but usually I think the judges are supposed to have tallied their score and turned it in when the round ends, you know, and be like, they don't get, they don't get a chance to even see that body language until after all, all the scores already turned in but i don't know it might that might not be true it might be a thing where uh you know not, holtzman was not helped and 
Well, DQC thinking he won wasn't helped either. True. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. All right, let's get to a featherweight bout. Jonathan Pierce, Darren Elkins, and um, I mean, I get that Darren Elkins has won some fights lately, and he's won them against other scrambly grapplers like Pierce. So I can't really say the fight didn't need to happen. Elkins and the UFC, you know, at some point you've got to prove it to, you've got to prove that fighters aren't capable of winning these fights at some point. But man, in, in hindsight, it really felt like this fight did not need to happen. Um, no, um, but I think it is good to see Pierce come out and do what he's expected to do against yeah. someone like Elkins, who's going to rally late, who's tough as shit, yep. who's going to bring the fight to you for however long it goes on. Um, and I mean, Pierce was getting tagged. Elkins yeah. was throwing some quality strikes. The booth was talking about like, oh, how slick Pierce's defense looks. Look, he's rolling, he's slipping that shot. And every time they talk about it, he'd get clubbed by the ugliest overhand you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. Um, he is definitely not nearly as slick a striker as he thinks he is. And he's also not as not a very dangerous one. So the fact that he throws all this stuff that doesn't have a lot of power on it, and it takes a lot of movement and takes a lot of energy for him he got slower as the fight went on and he got hit more as the fight went on it was never it was still all like all the best shots were coming from pierce but uh it was definitely a thing where he looked dominant in a way that does not necessarily make me think that if you throw him in there with Ilya tapuria tomorrow he looks anywhere near that good right right you know being hittable against Darren Elkins isn't the best sign. I'll say that. Uh, but not not letting Darren Elkins be Darren Elkins and rally on you, I think, is a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if he's going to have real title aspirations and all that, then you go out there and you win this fight and you move on and you get a bigger, harder fight out of it because Elkins is a name and you did what you were supposed to. And whether he can win the bigger, harder fights after that, we'll see. But he's set up now to... You know, he's like five and one in the UFC now. He's set up to attack the top, the edges of the top 15 of that division. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. All right. Solid skill set. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how he matches up with, you know, guys like Sadiq Youssef and, uh, you know, Ilya Tapuria and even, you know, maybe Ryan Hall and guys like that. All right. That gets us to a lightweight bout. Natan Levy, Gennaro Valdez, and um, pretty all right fight. Good fight for Levy, who, uh, you know, he's he's kind of got that weird sort of does some flashy stuff, but there's not a lot of connective pieces to it thing where you'll see him uncork a really cool wheel kick or, you know, uh, hit like a really cool trip or something like that or a throw and then you also just see him back straight up and get absolutely teed off on by a couple of one twos or whatever but um i think unfortunately for valdez he learned a hard lesson from that fight with the uh oh, what's his name that he fought last time out uh for matt for 
he got clubbed by Frivola and he came out into this fight and was like, oh, I got to fight cautious. Like, I can't be that guy anymore. And being the wild man probably would have gotten him further with Levy than just trying to go to- go strike for strike with a more creative, sharper, better athlete out at range. Yeah. Levy gives me that Nordin Talib feel. Yeah, yeah. Like he looks the part, he's got the strikes, but he's also hittable. Mm-hmm. So interesting combination there. Um, but he's fun. He does yeah. a lot of flashy stuff and um lets people pressure know. him a lot too, which is gonna make it th- for some all, a lot of his fights interesting. Yeah, because it it always seems like at any moment he's he's real upright. So it seems yeah. like at any moment a counter is just gonna just lay him out. Yep. It's really exciting. It is. <laughs> Not the best way for him, but definitely exciting. And he All had right. a pretty good call out also. He did. Called with, out with Kanye the... West. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get that fight. Yeah, probably not. All right. That brings us to a featherweight about Francis Marshall, Marcelo Rojo. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is just the value of being young out there, honestly. Because I mean, Marshall had some, like, he got a couple, he got a takedown in there, I think. He had some good positional dominance for a bit. But a lot of the striking was just these two trading bombs, and Marshall's just the younger dude with the better chin. You know? um, yeah, better chin, um, faster hands. Yeah. Um, you know, just fresher, just more spry. Yep. Exuberance. He's on the come up. Rojo, he's already been there, done that. He's on the, the downward decline. Yep. As they say. So, Great yeah, job. just yeah. different points in their careers. Yep. Great good to see it. Oh, sorry. It's, it's good to see a Kurt Pellegrino protege. Yeah, right. There's a blast from the past. Right. No kidding. Old Batman. That's right. We gotta get we, we gotta get a George Sotteropoulos trained fighter in here now. Come on. <laughs> oh. All right. And that brings to a woman's strawweight bout finally, Yasmin Haragui against Estella Nunez. And Haragui looks like a real threat at strawweight. Man, she man, Nunez got thumped. <laughs> I mean, and Nunez started great too. She's such a she is absolutely wicked straight out of the gate. First, you know, round one opens up. Nunez is, she's a lot to handle. She kicks hard. She punches hard. She's fast. She's got good snap on all her strikes. She dropped Hargui right out of the gate. But after that, Hargui just bit down and kept on her and kept putting stuff together, kept hurting her, kept trade instigating trades and coming out ahead of them. And it's just a great fight, great Great prospect win to to battle through adversity and show that she's not going to be, you know, there's no there's no point where she's going to be cowed or become cautious because of because the fight gets hard. Yeah, no, it was great, great mid fight adjustments. Um, mm-hmm. The way she came out in that second round, just like a woman possessed, 
like she was on a mission yep. and just chased down Nunez with fists of fury, landing heaters, and uh, swelled up the eye really bad of Nunez. Yeah. She had a nasty hematoma going on, and her ground and pound was savage too. So, yep. a lot of great a fight. lot of takeaways here. Great fight, great win. She looks like a great prospect. Can't wait to see her next time. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on the uh, on Twitter at these ain't time. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on the Bloody Elbow uh, Presents Podcast Network on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 282, uh, Lahovich versus Ankalaev. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog and as always on bloodyelbow.com